Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 welcome back to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and tonight we have a great show for you. Um, might be having some technical difficulties. I'm not sure what's really going on with the show. Hopefully you, you can hear me, but um, if you can't, um, we will uh, maybe uh, end up rescheduling the show, but hopefully you can hear me now. I just saw my, myself coming on the switchboard. Something is obviously uh, wrong with uh, the switchboard, but uh, hopefully everybody can hear me now. I'm not sure what, what's going on, um, but uh, again, this is Perfectly Healthy Tone Radio, and uh, this kind of threw me off because we might be having a little bit of technical difficulties, but again, hopefully you can hear me and everything is okay. Tonight we have a great guest, but just wanted to remind you about last week's show. If you have not gone to last week's show, then please go back and listen to last week's show where we did a show with uh, Dr. Ronald Drucker on the code of life and really good show uh, there. And we were talking about a little bit about autoimmunity. And as I uh, alluded to on the uh, show last week, we're going to do another show with Dr. Drucker, but to hear him talk about just a little bit about autoimmunity and strengthening and boosting the immune system was worth the price of admission. So if you get a chance, go back to that show and, and again, listen to Dr. Ronald Drucker, The Code of Life. Tonight, we have another great show, and we're going to be talking about just eating. Um, Stanley Fishman is here, and we're talking about tender grass-fed beef. And uh, I just discovered grass-fed beef a couple of years ago. I used to have stomach problems eating conventional beef. And uh, really, someone actually told me a little bit about grass-fed beef, and I decided to try it, and the stomach problems with it went away. And ever since then, I've been a fan of grass-fed beef. So before we get into the show, as always, let me read uh, Stanley Fishman's uh, bio. Stanley Fishman had been chronically ill with a number of different illnesses since he was 13. His illnesses included asthma, periodic depression, chronic bronchitis, and skin and digestive disorders. He made dozens of trips to the emergency room with asthma attacks that could have killed him. He received extensive medical treatment but only got temporary relief while the underlying illness continued to worsen. He was exposed to toxic chemicals at work in 1998, which again landed him in the emergency room where doctors told him his lungs would never heal. He refused to accept the medical death sentence given to him and sought out to find another way to improve his health. He learned the key to health was nutrition. He believes we are what what we eat, and a good diet is the foundation of health and healing. Stanley Fishman, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, Darren. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I had some problems <laughs> with the show. For some odd reason, it would not let me dial in. So um, apologies to you. I know I usually like for people to call in a little bit early, and we get a chance to to actually talk offline so to speak before we go on and that was one of the reasons why i couldn't get on but it's electronics man what can you say (laughs) stuff just happens you know you make the best of it yeah and here we are 
Yeah, I had um, I emailed you before the show and told you I had a death in the family. I just got back to Florida today. I was in South Carolina, and that's probably how my day went. It was I was coming back here, some traffic jams in West Palm Beach, and a traffic jam and actual accident as I made it my way back to the house here. So oh, Lord. it's been a day, and I'm ready to do this. But um, I guess the first question is, is just tell me a little bit about or tell me and the audience rather a little bit about your childhood. It seems like you had a number of illnesses, Stanley. Well, yeah, you see what happened. I'd, I'd been pretty healthy. I was actually a pretty darn good football player up through the age of 12 and uh, was big and strong and had no problems. Then we moved to a new county and I got, had some real problems with allergies and Unfortunately, my father took me to this allergist who uh, had a revolutionary new treatment where he would put people on all soy diets. Uh, Nobody's doing that anymore, thank God. But I think that probably threw me totally out of balance just when I was going through puberty. Bad times (laughs) had to happen. And uh, things just really went downhill from then. Instead of the allergies getting better, I developed this asthma, you know, skin problems, all kinds of things. I couldn't even go to high school. I had to be taught by a tutor at home. And things got a bit better, and then they'd got get worse, and they'd get better and worse. And and uh, it was that way through most of my life. And, I, you know, I was a good patient. I went to the doctors, did what they said, took my inhalers and my medicines and all that, and they would give temporary relief, and the underlying problem would just get worse and worse. And uh, you read a bit in the introduction, but things finally hit bottom in 1998, where after I was exposed to some chemical fumes at work and was rushed to the hospital once again, I was uh, uh, had an interview with a couple of doctors who had really bad news for me. And at one point, when they were, uh, one of them I think was saying that I'd be lucky to make it another five years. Something happened in my mind. I just decided that, no, I'm not going to accept this. These guys can't do, do anything for me. I've been doing what they said for a very long time, and it's not working, so I have to find something else. And I, I just made this really strong decision, a very emotional one. Okay, I, mm-hmm. you know, I have a wife and a son who I love dearly, and there was no way that I was going to leave them if I could do anything about it. So I just decided I'd find another way to get well. And that was the motivation, and since then, I pretty much gave up on conventional medicine, not because I wanted to, but simply because it wasn't any good for me. And I, you know, I was a pretty good researcher as an attorney. I knew how to research and look for information and analyze it. And I began trying every kind of alternative thing I could find that seemed to make any sense. Most of them didn't work. Some made things worse temporarily. Some of them gave me relief, so I didn't need to use medications to control asthma attacks anymore. Uh, For me, it was as simple as coffee and drinking a lot of water. And, uh, but I kind of reached a sticking ground to where I could stop the really bad things from happening, but I was weak and ill and not able to do that much. And then I came across the uh, writings of Dr. Weston A. Price, I think you, you have some familiarity with. Yeah, I do. Yes, and I became kind of fascinated by the the whole idea of what he did, where he traveled the world and found all these people who were supposedly primitive, but they were actually much healthier than the uh, 
supposedly more advanced civilizations of his time, like the Europeans and the United States, these were people who didn't have the chronic diseases we had, and they had really healthy teeth. So I studied his book, uh, went to the website of the Weston A. Price Foundation, and began adjusting my diet. And, you know, funny thing is, I started getting better. What I was doing was I was concentrating on just making my body work well, every part of it, and hoping that that would give it the power to resist the illness and to heal things. And that helped uh, quite a bit, but I still was in a weak physical state. There was a lot of stuff that I couldn't do. And then I came across uh, the idea of grass-fed meat. This is going to sound really silly, but sometimes this is how we get inspiration. There was a book I'd read when I'd been a child called Hans Brinker and the Silver Skates. And it was about this little Dutch boy who was a really great skater, and he wanted to skate in this race and win the prize, which would be a pair of silver skates. And he came from a very poor family, but he was a really good skater, and he wanted those skates more than anything in the world. And so... um, you know, he won the race, and he won, and he won the skates, as I remember it. But his father was injured in an accident badly, and the doctors basically told him and his family that his father couldn't get well unless they could get him meat to eat. That's not what you hear today, but this was written a while ago, and they believed back then that you needed meat to get strength back. And they were poor, and there was no way that they could... Uh, get the meat. So what he did, as again, as I remember it, is that he sold the skates and used the money to buy meat for his father, and his father ate the meat and got well. And that just kept coming to my mind, so I began, to, so I began researching meat and you know, realizing that the type of meat that most of us eat in the United States was just not what our ancestors ate. It was fed wrong. It was very different in its chemical composition. It just wasn't the same stuff, so I decided to switch to grass-fed in the hope that it would do for me what uh, it had done for the, in that book. And when I started finding some grass-fed meat, and I cooked it, and I tried to eat it, it was, uh, it was terrible. You know, it tasted bad. It was really tough. Couldn't figure out. I couldn't stand it. Then it came to me that I probably just didn't know how to cook it, and at that time there wasn't that much advice on how to cook it either. The people who sold the meat would say things like, well, you know, don't cook it as long and don't cook it as hot. Well, not very very detailed. So I began researching a number of old cookbooks when the only meat they had around was grass-fed, and I tried one thing and another. And when I was able to get it to be... After a lot of work, when I was able to get the meat to be tender and delicious, and I started being able to eat it, it my strength came back. You know, I felt, I felt, uh, it's hard to explain how I felt, but I just felt the strength and vitality coming back, and I could climb stairs easily again, and I could do all these things physically that I couldn't do before without strain. It was really rejuvenating. And... Uh, that was essentially how I got into it, and then I had a strong desire to share what I had learned because it wasn't written down anywhere that I could find, and that led me to write my first book, Tendergrass yeah. with Me. Great. Um, I wanted to go back to 98, and uh, in 98, obviously, you had the, the episode with the chemical in the films, and you decided to uh, – did you decide at that time to kind of go away from the medical establishment? 
in after 1998? I decided right when I was when they were telling me that I probably had no more than five years left that I didn't want to hear any more of this and I didn't want to buy into it, and I didn't mm-hmm. and that this you know that this path that I'd followed of just going with established medicine just wasn't going to work out for me because what they were telling me is that it wouldn't work out. Yeah. So at that point. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that right there, while they were telling me that, I didn't even hear everything they said. My mind just kind of shut it off, and I decided, no, I've got to find something else. Yeah, you said you were you had a moment of inspiration, but I would imagine at that point when you made a decision to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, be, I guess you would say, a puppet <laughs> to the medical establishment. You, yeah, um, a patient. Was, you know the yeah yeah patient puppet but um right i imagine there was a certain amount of fear um in stepping away did you have a certain amount of fear and how did you kind of maybe talk that fear down well there was a certain amount of fear a certain amount of potential fear but you know what i found is that a, a lot of emotion can be turned around and i just and i realized that being scared wasn't going to help me it was just mm-hmm. going to slow me down and paralyze me with indecision. So I, that's kind of like when I felt that fear, I turned it into I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to survive and I'm going to get well. And no matter what, I'm going to do that. Nothing else is ever going to happen. And whenever I felt that fear, I just like tried to turn that energy into this positive belief that I could do that. There was something out there that I could do. I mean, I'd known some people. You know, I'd known a couple of people who had cured cancer through alternate means, which was, you know, a much more difficult thing to deal with than what I had, and other people who had not used conventional medicine but were very healthy. And I was, and so I'd reassure myself with thoughts of them. You know, a whole lot was racing through my mind as that went through there. But, you know, I, I have had, uh, you know, from life experience, I've kind of developed the belief that to a certain degree we have a choice into how to react with the things that life gives us, that there's different directions we can go into, and we have most of the time we have a lot of choice in how we go there. You know, I could go the route of fear and just uh, letting the doctors do what they could to try to extend my life a little bit or make me more comfortable, or I could just refuse to accept that way of looking at things and take a different approach. So I just really focused all my emotional energies there. Yeah, and good so, stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, so when I felt the fear, I just tried to refuse to accept it and to turn it into something else. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that fear when they, they step away from you know the medical establishment and kind of put the, their healing in their own hands. Um, another question for you, and nothing against my people who might be listening who are vegan or vegetarian. You, you do what you do. But um, you told a story about, uh, I, I believe it was Hans and the Silver Skates. Normally... Yeah. Normally in our culture right now, it seems as though a vegan or vegetarian diet is the diet that kind of brings back uh, brings back people to their health or back to their their roots, their their healthy roots, so to speak. Um, outside of that story, is that is, was the story the thing that really inspired you to kind of move towards meat? Because usually in our society right now, they're telling people that meat isn't good for us. Most people are moving towards. A, a plant-based diet or something of that nature. 
but were there any hesitancies in you with regards to maybe eating beef instead of moving to something that was more plant-based or, or moving toward a vegetarian diet? Well, not really because, you know, I'd, uh, I'd, I, for whatever reason, you know, I, and I do think that we're all individuals and none of us are exactly the same in terms of how things affect us. I had tried uh, vegetarianism at a younger age and it just didn't work for me. I just felt weak all the time. And, I, you know, I realize other people might have different responses, but it never really did seem an option for me. At, but I think, you know, like when you were talking about at the beginning of the show that you had trouble digesting, uh, let's say, conventional meat. Yeah. I think there is such a huge difference between the grass-fed meat and the conventional meat. It's like they're not even the same thing. Uh, I, I know that's a bold statement to make. But the other thing that I think moved me in that not being uh, turned toward a plant-based diet, and I mean no disrespect to anybody who's going that way, and if, and if they have great results from it, that's great. But when I studied Dr. Price's work, you know, the interesting thing was the thing that motivated him, and I read this and it kind of uh, resonated with me. You see, he, was, he actually started out as a vegetarian. And when he began his journey to find out what the healthy peoples in the world were eating that made them healthy. You know, he, he looked at some photos of some so-called primitive people and noticed how much better their teeth were than the teeth of his patients because he was a dentist. And he had noticed that every generation of his patients was weaker and sicker and had worse teeth than the preceding generation. What he expected to find was when he went all over the world and he went to Europe and to Africa and to Polynesia and to South America, and he spent 10 years doing this. Nobody, I think, has ever done such a comprehensive face-to-face -face study. He expected to find that these people would be vegetarians. But what he found instead is that the basis of the diet of each and every one of them were animal foods, but they were not the animal. I mean, they would eat some vegetables, some would eat some grains, some wouldn't. There were a couple who ate nothing but but meat. There was uh, like a tribe of Native Americans in northern Canada who for most of the year the only food they could get was moose, but they would eat the whole moose, the internal organs and all of that. And so since Price was kind of my inspiration and he was uh, talking about foods that could really make a difference for people, and, you know, butter was one of the foods that he really emphasized a lot and fish fats and things like that, but also the fat of wild animals and grass-fed animals. I thought, this, if this is the road that these people went, that's the road I should go too. So uh, that's just, you know, what called to me from my studies and research. Yeah, I need to read that book. I keep saying I'm going to read. I've read countless books for, for the show. I just haven't gotten to the Western A. Price book. That's actually on my, my to-do list. Um, and for the audience, I might have gotten cutting off because we had some technical difficulties, but I shared a story that uh, Stanley had alluded to about having stomach issues. I actually quit beef in college and didn't eat beef again to, uh, until 2011, I believe. And then my first venture back into beef was grass-fed beef through a friend's restaurant here in Florida. Um, Stanley, one of the things that really kind of blew me back with grass-fed beef was the taste. Like the taste is so much richer from what I had remembered previously when I used to eat conventional beef and 
Uh, they would give us hamburgers in the cafeteria in college. And I remember those burgers compared to my first venture back in was actually a burger and it was grass-fed beef, but the taste was so much richer. What makes grass-fed beef so have such a, a much more rich taste? Well, I would, I'd say it's basically the grass because mm-hmm. the difference between grass-fed beef and more conventional beef is that uh, really grass-fed beef, all they eat is, is what nature intended them to eat, which is grass and meadow plants. And the grass itself is the best possible food for these cattle. You know, it makes them happy. It makes them healthier. It's, you know, the, the meat is leaner, but the fat in there is much r- richer in omega-3s and has a perfect balance of omega-3 versus omega-6. Whereas, and uh, every grass-fed rancher who's any good knows that the best way to get good meat is to keep the cattle as happy as you can make them, you know, to keep them peaceful, content, satisfied. And, uh, you know, I've known of guys who plant shade trees for the cattle so they can go in the shade when they want to and do all kinds of things to try to keep them happy. And when they're happier, they're healthier, and they, uh, and you have the goodness of that rich grass from the soil, which they've been eating for, you know, I don't even know how long, which is what they were meant to eat and which they can easily digest, whereas when they're eating the stuff they give them in the feedlots, the... Uh, you know, the soy and who knows what else. It's not their natural diet, and it upsets their stomach, and then they're crowded together and can't graze and in terrible conditions. So uh, to me, it just makes total sense why the grass-fed beef tastes so much better. You know, there is, a, and, uh, you know, it partly depends on how good the grass is. If you get grass-fed beef where the pasture isn't very good, it won't taste that good, but if you get it from good pasture, and I've had it from a number of different places, and there's a difference in the taste. I mean, the, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more about it tasting so much better. And I've reached the point now that on the rare occasion where I try conventional beef, it upsets my stomach, and I can't stand the taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I won't eat it. I, if there's a, I was just at home uh, this past weekend, as I mentioned, and we had a cookout, and uh, I just didn't touch any of the hamburger. I was like, if it's not grass fed, I'm not touching it because I remember how it would upset my stomach when I ate it previously. And I was like, no, it's not worth it. I'll just wait till I get back to Florida where I can get some, some grass fed beef because obviously it doesn't upset my stomach. And obviously um, it's tastes uh, so much uh, better than the, uh, the conventional beef. Um, Getting into the content of the beef, well, before I get into the content of the beef, I just wanted to ask you about CLA, but um, going back to a previous question when we were talking about vegetarian, vegan diets and plant-based diets, um, can we eat too much grass-fed beef? Is there such thing as eating too much? Is there a fine line about how much we, we should be eating? Well, I'll tell you my experience with it, which is that when I switched to grass-fed beef, I found I was satisfied with half or less the quantity than I w- was when I was trying to eat the other beef. And by satisfied, I mean that, you know, you, at first you start eating it, it tastes really good and you want more, and then you suddenly reach a point where you've had enough. And, and I lose the desire to eat anymore. And the way I look at it is that the, the meat, the grass-fed meat, with the CLA and these other nutrients that we really need and our bodies want to have and are really good for us, 
that uh, once we get enough, the, the hunger stops. I think a lot of the overeating and the, uh, you know, the, the binge eating that we have so much in our society is simply because the nutrients in the food that our body expects, like when they eat meat, are not are often just not there because of uh, the way the cattle's been, the meat has been processed, or even the vegetables for that matter, or being grown in poor soil or whatever. But my personally, I could not eat too much grass-fed meat because once I've had enough, my appetite shuts off and I can't eat anymore. Mm-hmm. If that's the best, that's the best way I can answer your question is from my personal experience and. I, I also know from observing family members and friends that they will eat a lot less of they'll be satisfied with a lot less of it even though they'll like it more. Yeah, if that I'm that way. Yeah, I'm that way with uh with the the uh the ground the ground grass-fed beef. It's like you can eat. I remember I literally would sit down uh, when I ate conventional and I would eat three or four hamburgers <laughs> with buns. And then, you know, with the grass-fed, you kind of want to savor the taste because it tastes so good. It's like, okay, one, I'm just going to take my time and eat this one burger here. And I'm gluten-free, so every now and then I'll delve into a gluten-free bun and have a burger. But I just kind of want to savor the taste. And usually one is enough for me. Uh, I don't want uh, any more. Um, with regards to the terms, they have there are several terms out there that are, are thrown around. I think sometimes people really get confused. One of them is grass-fed, grass-finished, and then you have grass-fed, grain-finished, and then I believe you have some other terms that are out there. But talk to us a little bit about what the differences are. Okay, sure. Okay, well, grass-fed is is a bit confusing because basically all cattle are grass-fed up to a point. And what makes a a difference is what happens after you reach that point. For most cattle, they get shipped to a feedlot. And then they they don't they aren't allowed to graze, and then they're given uh, a diet that includes different kinds of grains like corn and soy, but it can even include stuff like bakery rubbish. Uh, I mean, literally mean stale bakery goods and used candy bars, and mm. you know, yeah, I don't know who fe- exactly feeds who what, but that sort of stuff does get fed, but and none of it's natural. Now that is ne- is is not generally not called grass fed, but some butchers will call it grass fed and say that they can because they were grass fed before they went to the feedlot. I don't consider that to be grass fed. Now grass finished, uh, you know, great grass fed grain finished would mean that you would, uh, when you reach that point, you would finish the cattle on grain. It might not necessarily be in a feedlot, or it might be in a smaller feedlot that fed only grain as opposed to some of this other stuff or only certain types of grain. But you would not finish them on grass. Now, when I say grass-fed, at this point I mean grass-fed and grass-finished. Grass-finished means essentially that the cattle eat nothing but grass their entire life. And finishing cattle means getting them up uh, to where uh, they're you know, reasonably fat, and there's going to be some good fat in their meat, and they're eating the best grass of the year. And it used to be quite an art. You know, I've talked to different ranchers there, and before, when they would finish their cattle, they would there'd be this special pasture where the soil was really good and the grass was rich and green and long, and they'd only use that pasture to finish cattle. And uh, once they'd finished the, the, their cattle on that pasture, they'd be 
that's the point where they would sell them for processing, but they wouldn't send them to a feedlot and they'd be grazing their whole lives. I personally think that not only does that make for the best tasting meat and the healthiest, uh, you know, I've seen some studies where they showed that once you put a cattle, uh, a grass-fed cow in a feedlot, by the time they finish this uh, 90 to 180 days in the feedlot or however long they have them there, the, the amount of CLA and uh, omega-3s in their meat that was actually tested scientifically has gone down enormously to almost nothing from what it was before. So uh, the other thing about grass finishing is that it's the kindest to the cattle. I think it's terrible to put them in feedlots. And, uh, you know, uh, they're basically living a good, if the rancher's any good, and I've known some real good ranchers, they're living a happy life up to the point that they get shipped off. And if the slaughterhouse does its job rightly, they get killed without even knowing they're ever in danger. So it's it's a more humane way of doing it. Um, you know, I hope that kind of explains it. But essentially, to most people, grass bed means that it isn't grain finished, but uh, grass some some butchers will say something's grass. Any meat is grass-fed because it's been grass-fed for a while, but finished on grain or in a feedlot. But grass-fed and grass-finished is what I think of as grass-fed meat. But it's more precise to say grass-fed, grass-finished. And if I was asking uh, a source or a rancher about their meat, I would always make sure that they finish them on grass. Yeah, that's what I ask you. If, if the grass-fed, grass-finished is the best one out there. Or you know, for the listeners. Oh, I absolutely. It's, it's yeah. a, I think it's what you're eating, and it's what I always try to eat. And uh, yeah. it does taste so much better, as as you know. Yeah, for those of you out there listening, I mean, if you taste conventional beef and you taste grass-fed beef, trust me, you won't want to go back to conventional beef. It just tastes so much better. One of the things I noticed when I first ventured into getting my own grass-fed beef and cooking it is that I didn't have to put my heat setting so high. Like with uh, when you cook, when I used to cook conventional beef, I know that I had to put the heating, heat setting so much higher when I made stuff. But yeah. um, I noticed with the grass-fed beef that you don't have to put the heat setting so high. Why is that? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. One is because of what grain feeding and feedlot feeding does to a cow, there's a lot more like water or liquid in the meat of a conventional cow than there is a grass-fed one. It's some kind of biological thing, and I don't understand exactly how it works, but I know that's there. So because the meat is wetter, you have to cook it at higher heat to deal with all that moisture. But if you cook grass-fed at that high heat, it's going to be tough and not as good. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I usually advise is if you're making a grass-fed burger or grass-fed steak is to cook it at a medium heat, not a high heat, because the meat will still be brown and be very nice. But it doesn't need that, that high heat, and, in fact, that type of high heat isn't good for it in terms of eating it. Yeah. What about um, the whole way of the cooking with it. I've noticed with grass-fed beef, like I was never a guy who would go to a restaurant and order maybe a medium well. I always had to have well done. But when I'm eating grass-fed uh, beef, I noticed that medium well doesn't bother me uh, as much. Um, rare, uh, I don't know if I like <laughs> rare. I know some people out there who eat rare. But um, 
in order to enjoy it the most, are you still looking at it from an individual standpoint? Like I like stuff medium well. With grass-fed beef, well done to me is it, it kind of seems like it's overcooked. So um, any any pointers out there for the way you would like for it to be cooked to kind of make it taste the, the best it can taste? Well, I would probably say that it tastes the best it can taste for most people at medium rare, which means that it's, hmm. you know, red and warm in the center, kind of pink going out there. Uh, you can actually get grass-fed meat to be uh, very, very good uh, if you cook it to to medium well, but that's not so, you know, and I usually have burgers that way. Uh, you can, uh, you know, stews and pot roasts are that way. You can cook, if you slow cook some roasts, like at a low temperature, you can get them to be very tender and still be medium well. But for myself, at this point, medium rare is what I prefer. Dr. Price advised eating meats that were rare because he thought they had more nutrients that way, but I think you still get plenty of nutrition at medium rare and i think you still get plenty of it at medium well though maybe not quite as much but Mm -hmm. uh, it is to a great deal a a matter of personal taste now one thing that i will say is that on the rare occasions where i can get grass-fed bison i like it really rare Mm -hmm. Um, really really rare much more rare than i do beef and i find that to be the most strengthening reviving food i've ever eaten Again, that's kind of a personal thing, but, uh, uh, you know, I cooked it that rare by accident once, and then I found that I really liked it, but I don't like beef that rare. Can't explain the difference to you. But yeah, I've tried, yeah, I've tried bison, and it's a really, it's one of those meats that's really red, I would say. Yes. But, um and I like lamb as well. I guess, uh, you know, we're doing this show about tender grass-fed beef, and I have to um, make a confession that beef is my second favorite meat. I, I actually really love lamb. Lamb is my first favorite. Um, and you well, have God a number bless of, you. I love lamb, too. Go ahead. I, yeah, but, I mean, lamb is my favorite, and then beef is second. And, I mean, I used to be, when I pull conventional beef out of my diet, it used to be chicken. And it's like, okay, no, now I like lamb. And then, and then my second one is uh, beef, and then maybe chicken. <laughs> well, and then it's bison. Then it's bison, and then chicken. I, I don't know. Chicken just got further away from me as I started to sco- discover, you know, grass-fed, uh, really good grass-fed uh, meats. Um, one of the things that I'm really interested in is seasoning, um, optimal seasoning. Do you season the meat before? Like, uh, you know, growing up with a single mother, as I did, I used to watch my mom season the meat before and then put it into the oven. Is it any difference between the grass-fed meat? Should you season it after, or are you seasoning the meat before you you do it, you put it in the oven? Well, I think it depends partly on the seasoning you use. If you're going to season it with salt, I would put, it in, I would put the salt on just before I put it in the oven. Okay. Yeah, you know, I don't believe in salting grass-fed meat and just letting it sit in the salt for a long time because that seems to drought. It has a lot less water and seems to drought some of the juices. But uh, it's always worked fine to season it just before putting it in. And um, with regards to marinade, because I've (laughs) 
I've tried various different things to marinate the meats. Um, and I actually, in the book, you talk about fish sauce. And uh, I used to date someone who was really into fish sauce. And uh, I'm wondering what's the, the taste of that. I've never really tried it. I've actually used um, fermented soy on, on seasoning some of the meats. But you've kind of probably done more than I've done with, you know, experimenting with this stuff. What's the best uh, marinade? Well, uh, one way to make the meat more tender is to marinate it and is to make the base of your marinade be olive oil, you know, extra virgin olive mm-hmm. oil. Unfiltered olive oil works even better. And I got, you know, when I was researching how they used to cook grass-fed meat, one thing that really struck me is I'd be reading cookbooks from Poland, cookbooks from Italy, cookbooks from Russia, from France, from Spain, and the Balkans, and just about all of them would say, you know, put some olive oil on the meat prior to cooking. So it occurred to me that since the only meat they had back then was grass-fed, that there's a point to doing this. And so uh, a typical marinade for me will have an olive oil base, and, but there's all kinds of other things that I can add to it. Uh, you know, like you can... Uh, one thing that I like doing is adding some fla- some flavorful whiskey to that. Mm. There's a recipe in my book for Irish whiskey steak, which is simplicity itself. It's like a, a few tablespoons of olive oil, a couple tablespoons of Irish whiskey, uh, some green onions, and that's it. But it's one of the best steaks that I've ever had. But, uh, you know, fish sauce, it also depends on the fish sauce because there's so many different kinds out, out there. Just, you know, there's some fish sauce that they have all kinds of additives to it, MSG, uh, lots of sugar, you name it, and that's not the traditional stuff. But I'm, I've become a real fan of Red Boat fish sauce which is a fish sauce from Vietnam that's become pretty available over here. Uh, you know, I don't know if you have Trader Joe's in Florida, but they carry it at a fairly decent price. And that's made the old traditional way, nothing but but anchovies and salt. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the essence, and the fish sauce is highly recommended by the Weston A. Price Foundation because you have the internal organs of the fish dissolving into the liquid that you use so it's a great way to get sea nutrients and it adds a tremendous amount of flavor and then i also use all kinds of different vegetable ingredients like you know one way to help make meat tender and more flavorful is just to puree an onion and marinate the meat in that with some other ingredients there's other vegetables that can do the same there's a Oh, I could keep you here for the next 24 hours, and I'm not kidding, talking about all the different <laughs> things you can use. That's okay. You know, but, yeah, but but basically, uh, you know, putting some olive oil on it and then some other things for flavor. You know, if you like garlic, you can do that. You can use different spices. Uh, it, it can be very simple. That's the beauty of grass-fed meat. You can use a very simple marinade, and it could be absolutely wonderful. Maybe three or four ingredients and... And you can just cook it really easily, and you can have a great steak. Uh, You know, hamburgers don't really need a marinade, but you can use all kinds of different spices with them. And, uh, you know, I still am trying out new things, and I'm still learning more things. And I'm never going to have enough time, not if I had another 300 years, to exhaust the possibilities. But it's kind of fun, too. 
Yeah, you're you're the man when it comes to beef. That uh, red boat fish sauce. Actually, we do have Trader Joe's here, but that red boat fish sauce is it's fermented as, as well, right? Yeah, it is fermented. It's uh, okay. you know, it's really interesting. I've corresponded with the guy who founded the the company because he's really brought back an old the traditional way of making fish sauce. You know, now most fish sauce they uh, use chemicals to make the fermentation happen, which I don't think is real fermentation and you know, he packs, his family had a background in it, and when he found that he couldn't get it anymore, he actually went to this island, Phu Quoc Island, off the coast of South Vietnam, which is the place that the best fish sauce traditionally came from. They're supposed to have pretty clean waters there, and they have a lot of anchovies. So essentially what, what his factory does there is they catch a number of anchovies, just like they've been doing for maybe a 1,000 years or more, put them in these huge wooden barrels, put salt on them, expose them to the sun, and have, you know, wooden screens in the bottom so the liquid comes out with the salt. And that way you have all the nutrients and essence of the fish. And the flavor of this stuff is so much better than any other fish sauce I've ever had. It's kind of like the difference between grass-fed beef and conventional beef. Yeah. What would be an example of something you might want to use a – uh, a fish sauce on to marinate. Okay, sure. Well, you, if you want a, a little more of an exotic taste in your meat, for example, sometimes I'll stir fry meat, both leftover meat as well as fresh meat, and often in the marinade instead of soy sauce because I generally try to avoid so- soy, having had far too much of it at one time. I use fish sauce as a substitute. It doesn't taste the same. It has its own its own flavor, but it you can substitute and get a very nice dish for a nice flavor from it. Or, you know, one of the things that I found out is that in a number of European cuisines, like Italian and so forth, they would use anchovies to flavor red meat, believe it or not. And this fish sauce is made from anchovies, so a little bit of that can get that flavor there. And uh, it it doesn't taste like anchovies once it cooks. It's got it adds a nice flavor to the meat. You know, another thing that might interest you a bit is since you like lamb is that there's a big tradition in France and Italy of cooking of uh, seasoning lamb with anchovies, with salted anchovies. I found that you can get a real nice effect by just using some fish sauce and that can give you a very nice flavor too. Hmm. So you can use it in a marinade for uh just about any kind of meat. Yeah, I have to try that with the lamb. I I was using um, soy sauce, and um, but I'll I'll have to try that with the lamb. Does cookware make any of a difference? Because I know when I was when I was coming up, um, we used to fry hamburgers, and now yeah. I'm much more of an oven person. Like I put something in the oven. Is a ceramic or steel cookware going to make a difference? Let's say we have people out there who still want to fry their grass fed meat for a burger or something. Is a cookware going to make a difference with that? Well, I think so. You know, I my belief is that, you know, I never use any kind of aluminum or Teflon or, you know, specifically non-stick cookware. I'm more of a believer in traditional things. Stainless steel is good in terms of what I use because, you know, the problem with the Teflon and the aluminum is that some of the taste of the metal can get into the meat, not to mention that, whether you want, there's a controversy about whether the, uh, pardon me, the the, me, the metal that's released through cooking is, is good for people. I don't think it is, but 
I'm, I'm no expert, and I try to do things traditionally. But I would say that, uh, you know, ceramic can, can be very good, too, as long as it's not the type of ceramic where they put lead and other stuff into it that could leach into the meat. But uh, I basically use stainless steel. I, I've got these cast iron pans that I've had forever, which are practically nonstick, just, you know, beautiful, smooth black. They just kind of gleam, and uh, I probably use them for making hamburgers, but I'll also make them on the grill, or if I want to make them in the oven, I can put them on some stainless steel or, or a stainless steel rack or something like that. And I think it does make a difference. Uh, cast iron, to me, seems to be pretty good for, you know, frying meat if you're going to do that. But I also use a cast iron casserole for stews and pot roasts because I think the way it you can cook that at a low heat, and the, it retains the heat and radiates it all over the meat and cooks it from all sides and gives a very nice effect. Getting into um, just talking a little bit about the um, barbecue. Well, before I yeah. talk about the barbecue, because I want to ask you your, what your uh, recommendation is on maybe a barbecue sauce, but before I talk about the um, the barbecue. Uh, well, just go ahead with the barbecue. I'm sorry. Uh, if you can just give us some recommendations on the barbecue, maybe doing the barbecue sauce, if you have a recommendation on that. Well, it's, uh, you, you know, my book, Tender Grass-Fed Barbecue, when I was looking into barbecue, the Weston A. Pratt Foundation had, and some other people have said that there's a problem with cooking meat directly over the fire that there's some kind of substances, I forget what they call them, that can be created by the fat or whatever falling onto the fire and then being pushed back into the meat. So I did some research on it and found that a lot of the old barbecue cooking wasn't done over a direct hot fire, but was more of an indirect cooking method, which I, uh, you know, described the one I use in detail in tender grass-fed barbecue. Basically, you build a, a charcoal or wood fire or wood and charcoal fire on one side of the barbecue, uh, put a drip pan underneath the grill, which makes it a lot easier to clean, and put the meat next to rather than directly over the, the hot part of the fire. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't give you really charred meat, but it gives you some really nice meat too. And uh, that's generally the way that I do it. I don't grill directly over the coals anymore though I used to. But with this method, you know, usually a covered grill like what I use in, in the book is a Weber. Uh, you, you can avoid flare-ups. You can have, you can control the temperature very well by adjusting the vents. And, uh, you know, I found all kinds of ways to barbecue all kinds of things that have that were very successful. It was kind of a new way of cooking to me because... I know this was actually this came out of the Weston A. Pratt Foundation saying, "Oh, you don't want to eat barbecued meats." And then I read, I love barbecue, so I began reading <laughs> yeah. the studies and finding out that what they always objected to was the heat source being directly under the meat. Yeah. And so if you remove that, then I think you remove the problem. Yeah. And it turned out to be delicious. As for a barbecue sauce. Um, you know, you're talking about a sauce that you might serve with the barbecue, or yeah, for instance, uh, like uh, 
most of the time people want maybe something like a barbecue chicken. Some people even like barbecue burgers. I've had those before and those are, but I'm interested in maybe your recommendation, making maybe making your own sauces. There's a, a barbecue sauce that you might recommend since we are in the heart now of a grilling season. I think July 4th was the, the, uh, the peak of people starting to cook out because everybody did a cookout for 4th of July, but we're still into those lazy days of summer. So you might have some people out there who are looking for a healthy alternative to barbecue sauce or something that doesn't have the MSG and other stuff in it. So I was just interested in your recommendation for that. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a pretty good question. I've tried for a long time to find one that didn't have that stuff in there or didn't have too much sugar or didn't have too many sweeteners, and I haven't really seen a commercial one that you can just buy that uh, satisfies my concerns in those regards. Uh, you know, one of the key things in a Weston A. Price-style eating method is to avoid sugar, like like right. the plague, basically. And uh, people, you know, people generally like sweet sauces. I have made some barbecue sauces myself for. Instead of sugar, I might add a grated apple or apple juice or, uh, you know, even pineapple juice where you, you get the sweetness directly from fruit rather than from refined sugars. And some of those have turned out to be pretty nice. But, you know, I'm sorry to say that I haven't come across any commercial barbecue sauces that I that I feel uh, can satisfy my concerns in that regard. But it, it, it is possible to make your own. Yeah, my mom made her own, used to make her own, but she passed away. And unfortunately, I didn't <laughs> I didn't get her recipe. It was like a secret recipe. I think my sister knows how to make it partly. I'll, I'll have to get in contact with her and see, you know, how to actually make it. Um, one of the things, too, and this is my last question, Stanley, was um, organ meats. I noticed that you had a lot of different uh, recipes in here for what I would call hiding organ meats. And for the audience, <laughs> yeah. for those out there who don't know what that is, um, can you explain that um, for the audience oh, sure. and, and get some recommendations for what you like to do to get those, the vitamins from the organ meats, but not have to t- actually taste taste them? <laughs> <laughs> Darren, you put it so well. You know, here it's kind of a, nutrition, a nutritional um, puzzle. And our organ meats from healthy animals grass-fed animals, I would say, are really healthy. They've got great nutritional value. I think, you know, so many people, the traditional people's Dr. Price studied, they all ate organ meats, and they all prized organ meats. I mean, they'd rather eat liver than steak. Uh, that was, and the the problem is that, you know, just to be honest with you, that dealing with raw organ meats is downright disgusting. I don't know how, mm-hmm. I, I, you know what I mean, you know, trying to get the membranes off and yeah, and all that. It's not a lot of fun, and they usually have a slimy texture and so forth. But there, it used to be, at least when I was growing up, people tried to force their children to eat liver or something like that at least once a week because it was felt that it was necessary for good health and maybe they knew something. So what I found, and this is a cheat, okay? It's a, it is a cheat that there are some people who sell grass-fed meat over the internet who make some very good organ sausages. You know, my favorite is one that is uh, pretty close to a third liver, grass-fed liver, a third grass-fed kidney, a third grass-fed heart. It's, you know, it's cooked in sausage form, but a lot of my recipes just call for taking that or something similar 
and making it into a meatloaf. Uh, one of the best ways you can disguise the taste, and this was done in Europe for centuries, is if you uh, chop some onions and brown them in a lot of butter till they get really, until they get kind of golden, then they're really sweet. And if you put the, those onions, mix those onions into any type of liver dish, uh, that really does help with the taste problem. But generally, if you can make liver so it looks like a hamburger or a, a meatloaf, and you, uh, you know, like the recipes you were mentioning, you put enough things in there to change the taste and <laughs> distract the taste from what it really is. It can be, it can be really good and, and feel good to eat it. Yeah, I used to put it in uh, hamburger meat and really kind of disguise it. You wouldn't even know that you were eating it. And um, I lied. I say, I have, actually have one more question for you. I bumped into a lot of people, Stanley, who say that they don't like meat. And um, I'm wondering, I never really ask any of my friends um, who say that they don't like meat that much. But I'm wondering if it might have been, and you've had more experience maybe talking to people about grass-fed beef, if those people were eating conventional meats and they just didn't have, it just didn't have the type of taste that a grass fed fed meat actually uh, has a grass fed meat, the taste that grass fed meat has rather um, is, have you bumped into these people who say they don't really like the taste of meat and what's been your experience with that? I, this question just came to me as, <laughs> as a last question, because I'd be interested in hearing it from you since you obviously talk to people about this all the time. Have you had any experience where these people, you tell them to try grass-fed beef and they went to try grass-fed beef and actually found out that, yes, I like the taste over this, over conventional type type meat? In fact, that's usually what happens when I get those mm -hmm. kind of questions. You know, normally when I talk to people like that, they're not even aware that there's a difference between grass-fed meat and other meat. You mm -hmm. know, they just think that meat is meat and what they've been eating is what most people eat, which is what I call factory meat, the conventional meat that, you need, that neither you nor I ever want to put in our mouths again. And I don't blame them for not liking it. I don't like it. But uh, those who've tried grass-fed meat have been pretty, have been very pleasantly surprised by it. So I'm not saying that everybody who dislikes meat is going to like it if they try grass-fed. I've known some people who just can't deal with the idea of eating meat for, for various reasons. But for people who just don't like the taste, if they if they try properly cooked, good grass-fed, they most of the ones that I've talked to about or suggested something and have written back to me or called me on the phone about it have been much happier with 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 the grass-fed meat. And I'm including lamb as well as beef because I think grass-fed lamb is a great thing too. But uh, but to answer your question, yeah, I've seen that happen a lot. Uh, that it. A lot of people who don't like meat, I don't think I've ever met anybody who didn't like meat who was only eating grass-fed meat. Let me put it that way. And just about everyone that I did talk to just thought that all meat is the same, which, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, with factory meat, as I call it, they have some way of making it taste all the same. Once The first time I, I got bison, they... The producers were bragging that they got it to taste just like beef, and by God, it tasted just like beef, and I didn't like it because they were feeding it the same or doing or doing something. But I, I probably uh, answered your over answered your question, but but yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah, and uh, that was my last question. And your books are tender grass fed barbecue and tender grass fed beef and uh, tender grass fed meat. And where can the uh, audience get those? <laughs> 
those books? Best place to do that would be Amazon. Okay. And you have a, a, a website as well. Um, what's your website, uh, Stanley? They want to uh, check out more. com. Yep. So, guys, go to tendergrassfedmeat.com and pick up the books. They're well worth it. There are a lot of recipes in here for those of you who are just delving into cooking your grass-fed meat. It'll save you a lot of time and a lot of mishaps because I know I had a bunch of them when I started. But, uh, Stanley, thank you so much for being on tonight, man. I really enjoyed it. Well, it was an honor and a pleasure to do this, Darren. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye. All right, guys. Thank you for listening tonight. Those of you who might be listening on iTunes, please leave me a review. Kind of out of sorts tonight. I traveled back from South Carolina, um, had a funeral. My godmother actually uh, passed away uh, last weekend, and I attended her funeral uh, this past Friday and uh, got back in here you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon and had a bunch of stuff to do. So um, I was kind of out of source and then had a little bit of issues with the, uh, the uh, blog talk radio, but I uh, got everything going and the show is out there. So take a listen to the show. And uh, I hadn't looked at the schedule. I know I have someone that's going to be on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, but I have no idea <laughs> who it's going to be. Like I said, things have been a whirlwind since um, I got back, barely had any time to uh, to breathe here, but I wanted to, to get a show in the book, so to speak, for tonight, and I had Stanley Fishman on the schedule, so really wanted to, to do this show. Hopefully, you enjoyed it, Tender Grass Fed Barbecue and Tender Grass Fed Beef. Go pick those books up on Amazon. They're well worth uh, just learning how to cook beef, because I believe that when we cook things... And season them properly, we really enjoy our food a whole lot more. So thank you for listening tonight. Peace and love, y'all. And, uh, again, I'll be back Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. Good night.